I admitted this to Bruce while you were out of the room, but uh, I have had a few beers. Oh, good for you. <laughs> no, you, you need it. It's, it's been a hard year and a half for you. Oh, it's fucking nine <laughs> o'clock at night here, for Christ's sake. Yeah. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that on a Tuesday, February 1st, I was almost incomprehensibly <laughs> drunk. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I'll cut you some slack. That you, you've, you've been the most locked down out of all of us. Bathtub gin. Every grandma can make it. Yeah, gins and vodkas are, are really super easy. There you go, Bruce. Next time I make it to Studio P, I want you to have a solar-powered still <laughs> making gin. And we'll call it Studio P. Oh, yeah. If you're mixing it, no problem. I mean, pissing in a paint can. What do we call this say, one? Uh, what did I call it at the start? August. Call it bittersweet. You want to call it bittersweet? Not bittersweet. No. Well, you can call it that. I'm going to call it that. I'm not calling it that. Yeah, hot topics, topics of the day. Yeah, hot, yeah. I don't know. A potpourri. I wanted hot to call top. it laundry list, but I didn't know if anybody would understand what that meant. But. <laughs> hot topics is much more universally understood, it's, it's, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I like hot topics. It's been good because we had a couple sort of reflection pods, and now this is good talking about what's going on. And I had thrown in marriages, but I think we should bail on that. I think we have enough material without yeah. it. And I'm that, happy that to leave that out. Yeah, well, for, for, for sure. We squeeze you guys. We, we can talk about some other day, whether we want to like sort of do a little bit more on that or whether yeah, we yeah. ever touch on it. I'll count us down. Yep. All right, here we one, go on the one, count. One second before you do it, George, just so Les isn't surprised. I think we should do the check-in. Then we'll do the, you get to comment on the, the extra. Yes. We won't do that right at the start. Yeah, that's what I thought too. That's what I wrote down. Okay. Yep. All right, do it, Georgie. Five. Four, four, three, three two, 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 one, one. Go chat. It's August 2021. This is August 2021. Hot topics. Slow day. I'm hoping for a slow day. Here's the disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a constitutional law expert. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. I can't in good conscience mandate somebody to take a vaccine. CEO Leslie Hansen. You know, as my as my good friend Debbie Foster likes to say, the dog doesn't get a treat for not shitting on the carpet. Leadership expert Stephen DeGroote. I've submitted my application for a sabbatical. I think I've been breaking the rules by missing a couple. But yeah, I've got to talk to management. Hey, Steve. Producer Mike here. I want you to know we've received your request, and here at the Snow Day team, we value a strong work-life balance. For that reason, regrettably, out of an abundance of caution, we approve your sabbatical request. I want to wish you the best with your future business endeavors and also your growing company, and I hope we have you back very soon. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind, Lots of head-scratching. I've never been a commercial electrician before. It's August Hot Topics. One of my other favorite podcasts is 99% Invisible, and a couple times a year they do mini-stories, which is things that they were working on that weren't a whole episode, but they were worth talking about. And I feel like we've ended up there 
So we've got a few different things that we're going to talk about, but first we got to do a check-in. Georgie, you and I saw each other in the summertime. We did the extra, which I think, I mean, selfishly for you and I think it was awesome. I'm not sure if everybody else does, but that's it is what it is. So that was good, but we haven't checked in with Lester in a while. People can't see the Zoom call, but uh, Georgie, I'm showing you the rusty nail. I'm using the uh, all the ingredients you dropped off here, including the bitters, and this is the first time that I've uh, I've thrown one together since you were here. So cheers, cheers to that. Yeah, I had 13 straight days of company. George was part of that run. Every day for 13 days, we entertain people in August. And you guys know we've put together Studio P uh, as a little bit of an entertainment place. We love having people out here. But this year, it fell together that everybody we know showed up around August long weekend. (laughs) So it was a bit of a wild run. Super fun. George was there in the middle. We did the Serlin Greaves concert and our extra. And Steve was up here. And it was just, it was terrific. But uh, wore us out a little bit. And it feels like we've continued that run on a little bit. I just got home from Winnipeg. We were down there dropping off the kids. Our roommates are gone. (laughs) We're empty nesters again. So both Paige and Murph are down in Winnipeg. Visited with some of Marnie's family, which it felt weird. It felt really weird to be in Winnipeg. We hadn't seen them in a year and a half. Marnie's sister and her husband both had their 60th birthdays. And they hired a chef to come in and make a four-course meal with... Nice. Yeah, they have kids and grandkids and extended family. And Marnie and I crashed that party. And I felt a little bit bad about it at the start. But once we got they were couldn't have been happier and it it just felt so warm to be with family yeah it's marnie's family but i've been part of that group for 30 years and it felt pretty good to uh, spend a little bit of time with them even though you guys know i'm a i'm a orange guy covid orange (laughs) you're a phase one lockdown guy for sure yeah to be maybe a (laughs) 1.5 our august has been uh it's been pretty crazy. It's been pretty fun. Georgie, you probably had you probably had a better adventure than <laughs> than Les did in the last two months. Well, yeah, George had a big trip. His own big in-laws story, right, George? That's right. How did it feel to travel again? Yeah, no, it was pretty good. So uh, I was up there. So solid check-in, Bruce. That was a good check-in. I'm looking forward to Les's check-in because he's actually finally done something recently. It won't be a shitty check-in. <laughs> Outside, I'm sitting in my kitchen on a podcast. Watching the buses go by. That's what he used to do. You might be over Selling that, George. I don't know what you think I've done. <laughs> you left your house less. It's already mm-hmm. better than most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, I'm super glad that you like the rusty nail with the orange bitters. I think it takes that drink to another level. 100%. Yeah, it's really good too. Yeah, our extra extra, one of the best pods in the last 44, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> Calling his own shot. I love it. You, you can't hit a home run unless you swing for the fences. <laughs> Three, as mentioned, a week in Manitoba, two weeks out east. I've never been out east. Super pretty out there. We had great weather, obviously great seafood. Uh, met Megan's family in person, not just in Zoom. So that was really... Uh, really good. Uh, glad to be back, as we always are after protracted away from home. And I'm back at work, fully riding the fourth wave here, fully, fully. We're back in the fourth wave. And, and maybe I'll pick up on one thing before we hand it over to Lester. When you were mentioning dropping off the kids to university, it always takes me back to when we, you know, left Thompson to go live in Res to go to university. And September, I mean, it's August 31st, but September, the kids are going back to school tomorrow. Mine are. I've got this sort of bittersweet, nostalgic melancholy about September. I don't know if you guys have the same thing, right? Like your empty nesters, Bruce, Mike, you know, Zara's going into high school. 
it's another summer that's gone. So I'm, I'm really happy because it's been a pretty good summer. But September always gives me that very nostalgic, wow, it's like another summer, another year. Right? I don't know if you've ever feel like that in September, like that kind of weird, wow, that's kind of moving on. I got two things on that, George. This September was probably even more nostalgic than a bunch because moving Murphy into his first apartment. So he stayed in residence the last time, but this time he's staying with a friend in an apartment. So we were helping him get a little bit of furniture and kind of get moved in. And I have a picture of like leaving him there with nothing in the living room, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's some suitcases and one chair and he's kind of sitting in it. Um, and, you know, we sort of helped him get his bedroom set up a little bit. He, the first night he slept on five blankets because he didn't even have a bed and just all those things. And we all did that yeah. a, f- a few different times. And so it's, it's kind of happy and sad because you can't imagine doing that yourself anymore. But he was so excited that one day he said, Dad, like I, Winnipeg's going to be great, right? I'm looking forward to my friends are down here and, you know, like it's September for you less. And for me is going to look exactly like last September, right? Mm. Basically, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's not really going to change that much. Whereas for him and for Paige too, it's exciting. And you guys remember that all the years you you went to university, especially when you were somewhere else and you went back and you were seeing everybody. And there was lots of times where my, I wouldn't say my heart ached because I was super excited for them, but yeah, you kind of miss that whole. It's the bittersweet September. September always makes me bittersweet. Yeah. Well, bittersweet. And we had a principal up here, Ryan Land. He basically got fired. He ended up getting a job at Valet, a high-end job there. And a couple years after that, he said to me, you know what I miss the most, Bruce, is the, the cycles of the school year. So in June, it ends. Teachers sort of all get together and you've wrapped everything up. And you have a little bit of a refresh over the summer. And then in September, you start fresh with new classes and all of this kind of stuff. And if you don't like the class you've got, you know that in December or June, you're done with them and you get another start and some new classes. And he said, now that I'm in the work world, it's just a treadmill. And it's probably the same for you, Les, right? Q1 turns into Q2, turns into Q3. And, and for me too, at my, my work, there isn't that huge refresh. And I think that's maybe the nostalgia you're missing, George, at school is, right? It's, it's a whole new thing every year in September. And maybe it's going to be great and maybe not. A, a lot of people in the world, I think, miss those cycles. And I mean, we all have Christmas and we have summer holidays and all that, but I don't think it's quite the same as it is for kids and teachers in school. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but uh, I think about it a lot. I'm glad I brought it up. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously being the the odd man out here as the one without kids, I haven't been attached to a school year schedule in 30 years. But I I recognize, like I, I certainly remember what George is saying. Uh, I'll tell you though, that story of, you know, dropping off Murph, dropping him in his apartment with no furniture and whatnot brings back a, a lot of happy, happy memories. I would kill to be back to rocking onto campus in an empty apartment and sleeping on a mattress on the floor again. It would be, uh, those are some of the best years of our lives, right? For sure. That's good. I'm sure he is going to have a good year. I'm happy for him. He'll be great. I totally thought the same thing. We can't imagine that anymore. Like your house is <laughs> stunning. So is George's. Like we, yeah. we've all got beautiful places and to, to, think that my home right now has no furniture and it is just unfathomable for us but I was excited and happy for him and he wasn't upset at all right so yeah, super, no. yeah. that's the that's the beauty of youth you yeah. life is simple <laughs> as it should for be sure. right we should all be trying to get back there 
<laughs> comes back to conversations we've had in the past about, you know, getting getting back to living off a small footprint, you know, and, yeah. and George always feels so cathartic when he's able to throw something out, right, yeah. to clean something out, have fewer belongings. I think it's partially tied to that, right? Like trying to get back to your youth where you didn't own a lot of shit, right? Yeah. All the stuff that you collect over time, the more you get rid of it, you're reversing back those years and chasing the, uh, the freedom of the early part of your life. <laughs> That's probably what it's attached to. Chasing your youth, 100%. George teed you up for a big check-in list, so I don't know what you got for us, but I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea why. I do have one quick question for George on, on his check-in. Did you make it to the five fishermen? No, you're like the fourth person that has asked me that question. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> I have friends here that told me to go, but I later found out like we couldn't show up with the kids. It's kind of a bar. I don't know. Halifax, small town. <laughs> they wouldn't care. You could probably get away with anything. I have to tell you, Zara was like, wow, this is a, like a really pretty town. <laughs> and it sort of yeah. reminded me of like a mini San Francisco. And is there a university here, Dad? She was like, all, oh, maybe I'll go to Dal. And we all got sort of excited about that. Yeah, got all excited about Dal's that. Dal's a good school. And I'm sure that your teenage daughter is exactly the age where she's thinking she wants to get as far away from her parents as possible. <laughs> so you should be happy that she's staying in Canada <laughs> and not saying that she wants to go to, uh, you know, London School of Economics. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> yeah, I guess in terms of a check-in for me, my first big post pandemic trip worked out perfectly because my mother's 80th birthday was on July 2nd. And the way the timing worked out, July 1st was exactly 14 days after my second vaccine dose. <laughs> so I jumped on a, on a flight, freshly fully vaccinated, and uh, flew out to Winnipeg and surprised my mom for her 80th birthday. Stayed in Winnipeg for about a week, saw some people, spent a lot of time with my parents. So that was really good. As you mentioned, Bruce, to be around family after so long was really good. Since then, I've been back in, in Toronto and haven't done a lot. The weather's been really hot. I've been hitting up all my friends who have cottages and haven't made it to Studio P, but I've made it out to, to Uncle Huey's place at Troy Lake and uh, my buddy Sean's place up on Simcoe. Got some cottage living in. The big thing I have coming up on the horizon here is following Jorge's lead. I'm actually heading to the opposite coast in a couple of days. Alex and I are heading out to BC to see her family. So she's got uh, some family out there that she hasn't seen in quite a long time, uh, longer than the pandemic. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go spend two weeks in BC. That should be nice. Should be a good trip. Snow Day podcast covers Canada. Yeah. Coast to coast, baby. Coast to coast. That's how we do it. Lester, I don't think you disappointed. That by far is your best check-in in 18 months. <laughs> You've actually done stuff. As pathetic as that is, I do believe that is my best check-in in 18 months. <laughs> You've traveled. You've swam in fresh water. You've got, you're yeah. going to go on your second plane soon. Come on. Don't cut yourself short. That's a home run. Life is good. I missed a little thing in my check-in that I just want to throw. I'm proud of it. My summer project this year was a solar system for our cabin. And so we dropped in a like a really big solar. We won't use a generator probably ever again. Wow. We ran a fridge off of the solar system for six weeks. It's almost house size, not quite, but lots of head scratching. I've never been a commercial electrician before, <laughs> but it's hard to get somebody out there. So my guy, Helmet Botcher, I want to shout him out. He was excellent, but he lives near you, Les. He lives in... Uh, Pickering or something, wasn't he? 
Oshawa, somewhere east of Toronto. Yeah, somewhere around there. And he was I remember a, you telling me. Yeah. amazing support. And so uh, once I got it all put in, I'm I'm kind of proud of getting all that done, but also just happy to do the right environmental thing. So uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's good for you, man. Big piece of our summer. He's actually west of Toronto, closer to Sault Ste. Marie in Thessalon, Ontario. Renewable energy solutions. I could not recommend Helmet more highly. His service was off the hook. The prices were good. This is not a paid ad, but I was ridiculously impressed with Helmet and his company. Renewableenergysolutions.ca. That's where you can find them or email them. Offgrid is better at hotmail.ca. Bruce, you know, it'd be awesome if you drop like six inch cable under paint lake like from the marina all the way underwater <laughs> like to your cabin so you could have floodlights just like they did you know across the atlantic for the telephones it's like some crazy project there was talk of that when my parents first bought the cabin before solar was really a thing they looked into having manitoba hydro run a cable under the water to those remote cabins yeah. like i'm i'm not even kidding but the the cost oh, okay. at the time was I'm going to say $30,000 each. I don't know what that was. But in those days, dollars, that was just, it, it was yeah. kind of untouchable for remote cabin owners who only- Worth more than the cottage probably. Yeah. By a mile. Yeah. And and yeah. just the logistics around all of that. But they actually did kind of look into the, the cable under the sea. And it, it's kind of neat now to see the technology's changed and where I can't throw up giant floodlights yet. Well, maybe I could, but it's it's pretty cool. I can run power tools during the day, like when the sun's shining, anything's possible. That's pretty cool, man. Feels good. You are bringing the green. You're bringing the green to the Snow Day pod. Good on you. We're trying. I mean, someday let's yeah. do the little debate on building batteries and manufacturing them. Is that really such a, wow, such a green yeah, process? Yeah. And these batteries I have are huge, but whatever. That's, that's for another day. You'll keep them forever. For what I paid, they better last 20 years, like the guy told me. <laughs> <laughs> you better keep them forever. <laughs> like I'm not buying another set next year. <laughs> I'd have to get a second job. George and I did get together. We did a little extra, and we really mowed your grass less because... We talked about the Olympics, and you are our Olympics guy. <laughs> like, you're the you're the closest person I know to actually being at the Olympics, and uh, and I know it's a huge passion of yours. What'd you think? Oh, I thought it was good. I thought you guys did a reasonable representation. <laughs> George is slowly but surely becoming the king of the hot takes, coming in hot off the top rope with the angry old man takes. <laughs> Honestly, I agreed with probably like ninety percent of what you guys felt about the Olympics. I watched a little bit of it, probably like halfway between the two of you. I agree that I thought the television coverage was terrible. Bruce, you're you're right. I guess the key was you had to go on CBC Gem and then you could look stuff up. But we're like, what the hell? We all have. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't know about you, Bruce, but I know George has a 70-inch TV. You know, he wants to go to CBC Gem. Like, come on. You know, it's playing on nine different channels at the same time, but you couldn't tell what was live and what wasn't. Coverage was terrible. And I also thought that a lot of the in-studio hosting coverage was actually terrible. I just thought that the Canadian sportscasting world did not shine as part of the Olympic experience. Just too bad. A lot of great Canadian uh, 
athletic accomplishments at the Olympics. I am a sucker for the Olympics. Like I can be watching anything at the Olympics and I just have tears streaming down my face. No rational explanation for that. Nothing else makes me feel that way. I'm not invested. Like I'm watching a bunch of German athletes I've never seen before and I'm just weeping for some for some reason. I get super, super into it. You know, so there were a lot of great sporting moments, but not a lot of great TV coverage. I thought one of the th- interesting things that you touched on, George, was you know, your angry old man takes on sports that shouldn't be allowed in the Olympics. And I agree with you. It's obvious that over our generation of watching the Olympics, what's happened is TV money has taken over and just dictated everything. So they're just piling in all these nonsensical sports because they get, they grab eyeballs and they get TV viewers, younger audience, and and that's fine. But to those of us who have more of a history of watching the Olympics and, and hold it in higher esteem in our memories, it kind of denigrates the, the overall brand of what we grew up thinking of the Olympics when you're watching, you know, 12-year-old kids skateboarding and, you know, stuff like that. So I agree there's way too many sports and some of them should be taken out. I think I have a different philosophy on what sports belong in the Olympics and which ones don't. From my point of view... I don't like watching any sport in the Olympics when I know that a premier competitor in that sport didn't grow up dreaming of winning the Olympics. Mm. Perfect example is golf. No young kid, 10 years old, on the driving range, hitting a thousand balls a day is dreaming of winning the Olympics. They're dreaming of winning the Masters. They're dreaming of winning the US Open, right? None of them care about the Olympics. That shouldn't be an Olympic sport in my mind. And there's a lot of sports that kind of fall into that category. And I think there should be a, a re-rationalization of that. The one thing that George said that I did find entertaining was when you broke down, you know, you guys kind of had this interesting back and forth on sports that are judged versus sports that have a clear winner. Yeah. And that's been an age-old debate. You know, if a, if a sport is judged, is it actually a sport or is it an art is the philosophical argument. Better words than we had, but good. Yeah, perfect. I was thinking about why it is that we find it so much more appealing, especially now, to watch a sport that has a definitive winner and loser. And I I was wondering if it ties into the fact that so many things in the rest of our lives are floating away from that, where it's harder and harder to ever have definitive winners and losers in all aspects of society and culture. Think of things in politics or things in world affairs. No matter what happens, somebody says, you know, oh, they won. The other side immediately pops up and says, no, you didn't actually win. And this is why you didn't. Even in science, we can't even get people to agree to science anymore. Right. Like, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more when George gets to talk about the vaccine. You can't get people to agree to basic facts of science anymore. At least you can get them to agree to, I watched you two guys race and you got to the finish line first. So there's like that definitive, yes, finally something that we almost have to agree on. And I wonder if there's like a gravitational pull for us towards that, you know, watching sports now that's even stronger than, than when we were young. Anyway, I enjoyed listening to you guys on the pod, even though I was pissed off that you were you were talking about a topic I love without me. But that's all right. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to a different lake other than your your yeah. Ontario friend lake. How about yeah, that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got. I. So excellent, excellent point. Uh, I think you said that very well. The definitive nature of that sport, I think, resonates with people. Uh, it almost provides a calmness, like there, there's yeah. not an argument. Can't and argue. furthermore. 
you get awarded for it. Like, oh, you get the gold star. There's yep. no question. Like, it's literally first, second, third. But yeah, no, those are good. Those are good points. What, what about what? What do you what do you think about uh, Les's take, Bruce? Actually, I made a couple of notes, which is surprising for me. <laughs> judged versus non-judged. I think. And I hope we spin this into another pod. This one's one that's on my list for someday down the road, but it's cheating in sport. And so Les and I listened to a podcast about basketball where some of the refs got caught for mm-hmm. basically cheating and fixing games. And after mm-hmm. I listened to that, I couldn't watch professional sports or almost any kind of sports with a referee or that were judged the same. And I, I hope I'm wrong. It really jaded me. And that to mm-hmm. me slides through to the Olympics. I mean, the figure skating stuff in Winter Olympics was probably the biggest example of that. Yeah, that's the classic example, I think, of the scandalous judges. Yeah, The absolute whopper, but you can't think that this isn't happening to some degree one way or the other. But like I said in our extra, George, you can't deny these guys are unbelievable athletes. (laughs) And sorry to take it to the extreme, but it's like I happened to come across wrestling at our hotel TV last night and I watched a little bit of professional wrestling and it's like these guys are amazing athletes you know it's a show but <laughs> but look at these guys like the stuff they're doing is just oh, yeah. mind-numbing right so I got that one I got one thing that George and I think we didn't miss but uh, Jim Rudd called me before either of you guys even listened to the podcast he had phoned me because he had listened to it like <laughs> the guys the, dude I thought I listened to it like two hours you, you after it was did, but he's, he's an absolute <laughs> mega fan and he just said we should have mentioned Jim Thorpe when we talked about um, our guy that won the decathlon and not mm. that we should have been comparing them but just sort of as a, a little bit of a shout out I don't know if you know the Jim Thorpe story but it's he was one of the best athletes there ever was. We can leave that at that. Google it. It's a phenomenal story. In talking about athletes that didn't think, didn't, you know, as it, when they were nine years old or 10 years old, think that they were going to be an Olympic athlete or didn't have Olympic dreams. I'm kind of curious, do you guys know what the RBC training ground, you probably saw the commercials on CBC about mm-hmm. RBC training ground and they came to Thompson. Our kids did RBC training ground. <laughs> Producer Mike put himself through the senior version of RBC <laughs> training ground sort of as a joke at the end of the day. But basically, they go around looking for super athletes and turn them into Olympians in some of the sports where you can do that. Cycling, mm-hmm. rowing. You find some person who's six foot six and an absolute bear and you put them in a rowing boat and ship. I think that's cool. And I, I like how our country is pushing athletes to do that but it feels a little bit funny where this wasn't really your dream and you didn't know this and then all of a sudden like two months later you're at the olympics and you're a superstar and we love you and i don't think i disagree with it but it's just a bit of a a question mark for me well the three of us might have had a chance with curling about 20 (laughs) years ago because you could have been fat not even very good I don't know, man. Yeah. Curling's insanely competitive, <laughs> especially in Canada. Yeah. Crap. That's got to be one of the toughest Olympic teams to qualify for yeah, in Canada. Yeah, now it is, but 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. 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 The Olympics have been wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they have, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, they've been wrecked, yeah. but yeah, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. It was still cool to watch the women's soccer team win. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a 30-minute check-in, so I've got some editing in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quickly, vaccine mandates and then the election. Bang it up. We can do this in under 30. I love my passport. It's okay. I love my passport. It's okay. COVID passports, uh, the mandate to get vaccinated... We're not even going to bury the lead. We're jumping right to you, George, on this one. I think obviously you're the expert, but I I think you have some of the strongest opinions too. So 
Uh, first of all, tell us where Alberta's at. So Manitoba were the first, one of the first with the vaccine cards, which isn't way different than a, a bunch of other places, but we came out pretty quick with, I have a QR code. I can go to Jets games. I can navigate around Manitoba where some other people can't sometimes. Tell us where you're at. Yeah, well, I don't think I'm actually any more of an expert than you guys are. I concur, doctor. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. No, exactly. <laughs> I, actually, I should have never said that. Trying to give you guys your props. This is an opinion piece. <laughs> Alberta is fully in the fourth wave. It's uh, it's going to be bad again. That's my feeling. That's the projection. That's kind of where we are at here. The reason why I brought this up is because this is a pretty big deal and everybody's talking about it. Obviously, everybody knows where I stand. Anybody who listens to this pod, I was vaccinated immediately. My entire family's vaccinated. I think it's crazy if you don't get vaccinated. I think the science is amazing. You will come and vaccinate anybody that listens to the Snow Day podcast. You- I said that on the extra extra. You will come to anyone's house and vaccinate. I will do it. Yeah. I try to convince people. I literally talked to two people today in consultation who are getting worse, non-vaccinated people in the hospital. And I'm actively asking people, why did you choose not to get vaccinated? And here you are hospitalized at talking to an ICU physician. That's a bad scenario to be in. And I'm not in a punitive way. Like I'm honestly interested. Like I say, I want to know what your thoughts are. So I will start off by saying I'm exhausted by hearing the crazy amount of excuses that people are, are, are out there. Most of them all bullshit. We are truly in this awesome, enlightened, golden age of stupidity. And, and the COVID virus is really highlighted. I cannot believe what people say, what they believe. And of course, we've talked in previous podcasts why that is, and Les touched on it a little bit earlier that you know no one can agree on anything, including facts. The thing that probably has most annoyed me with people is this constant paraphrasing of too fast, the science isn't clear, it's not mature, this is new technology. All of that is just incorrect. None of those things exist. And in particular, what's frustrating me is the people that are saying that or those talking points are being said by people that are absolutely trying no effort to actually learn any of the science behind it. I will say that even for me, who's super interested in it, I would have a rudimentary knowledge of immunology, virology, how they developed the vaccine. I read about it. I go to seminars online. So I actually have an active interest in me. And I would even say my level is basic. Most people's level would be non-existent. But yet they're saying that. So that's really, really been frustrating with me. But despite that, despite that frustration, I can't in good conscience mandate somebody to take a vaccine, which I think most people wouldn't believe that I would say. For the following reasons, the crux of a human being is self-determination. And I have to support people's decisions, even when they're bad, even though I want them to take it. So I'm actually on the opposite side. I don't think vaccines should be mandated. However, I think we can make it super uncomfortable for people to not be vaccinated and really like limit their options and what they can do. So like Bruce can go to a Jets game and other people can't. So I think the passports or the documentation, whatever word you want to use, I'm okay. But I would have to say then I'm against it. There's too many examples in the world and in the history of mandating things 
that had unintended consequences. And I don't want more civil unrest and more people hating each other or yet another reason for friends and families and foes to hate each other. So I'm against mandates. Interesting take, George. You can say you're no more an expert than Bruce and I, but you are. You have a very different viewpoint into this world than we do because you see the actual results of people making poor choices to not get vaccinated because they end up in your ICU and a large number of them you save. God bless you. You're a hero. And a portion of them you don't save and they die. And they died because they made bad decisions based on a lot of factors, right? But your visibility into this topic is very is very different than ours. And and I want to say, I know Bruce probably agrees, as much as we make fun of you and whatnot, you know, I respect that. I respect your angle on this. And it it means a lot to me every time I talk to you about it. 100%. Recently, you told me you had an ICU full of COVID patients. You had yet to see a single COVID patient in your ICU who was fully vaccinated. And I remember you you telling me that at that point in time. I think that has changed recently. Um, right. But just thinking like that's that's an astonishing data point. That is such a clear cut. This decision has become so obvious at so many levels. It makes it very, very hard for us to understand the thinking behind people who are choosing other than we are choosing. And we dropped that in the extra, George. And I had, I think, four different people reach out to me and said, man, I didn't realize that. That really resonated with people. So exactly what you're saying, Les, and I, I think we sort of think it's obvious, but but people miss it. I think the interesting thing, you know, like the, the classic example, George, about being against mandates as a society, philosophically, we shouldn't be forcing people to do things. There's a belief that we have the right to control our, our own bodies. But the flip side of that is is going to be the moral argument against what if the choice that you're making to protect your freedom impedes upon my safety. The classic example, the classic statement is your right to throw your fist ends when it meets my nose. There is another side of that argument. I'm not saying that I take it. There is another side of that argument that would say that mandates probably are necessary because we have a certain percentage of the population that for whatever reason are making choices that are then endangering the lives of the, call it 80% of Canadian population who are choosing to get vaccinated. That becomes, I think, a much more complicated argument, complicated discussion. I obviously agree with you, George. I'm very pro-vaccine. I think the science is clear. People who choose at this point to not get vaccinated fall into a lot of different categories. Anyone who tries to argue the science on the other side, I have zero seconds to listen to because there is no science on the other side. You know, science is the is the analysis of data and the metrics are so overwhelmingly indicative that vaccinations are saving lives, right? In every study, in every country, in every region of the world. There is no science on the other side of that. There's opinions on the other side of that. There's different types of thinking and viewpoints on the other side of that, but there's no science on the other side of that equation, right? Two and two equals four. It doesn't ever equal five. So, I mean, that's the way I I feel about it. I think that it's interesting if we say, okay, let's not have mandates, right? Like, let's not say to the government, you can force people to get vaccinated, but let's, through the government find all the different levers we can pull that will 
slowly break you down and make you just buckle and want to get vaccinated, which is mm-hmm. us agreeing. We're trying to get yeah. to 95%. I think Bruce is at where we have to get to to get to herd immunity now with Delta variant. 92, I think, is the call. 92, 95, whatever. Yeah, yeah. 92 is the goal. And we're, we're at roughly 80. We're closing in on 80, yeah. So we got to get from 80 to 92. And how are we going to do it if we can't force people to do it? Well, let's start taking their toys away. Right. Let's start saying, you know, you can't go. I, I cannot go to a Raptor game next year unless I'm fully vaccinated. You, you won't be able to go to a Winnipeg Jets game. Presumably, I, I imagine that'll be the law in, in Manitoba. 100%. It is now. You're not going to be able to get on a, an airplane pretty soon. Right. Air Canada won't mm-hmm. let you fly anywhere pretty soon if you're not fully vaccinated. So you start taking people's toys away from them and eventually they'll they'll break down, I think, is the belief. It's kind of weird. That's what we're doing. I guess if it works, it, it, it works. And I'm, I'm in favor of these things because I just, you know, think one way or another, we got to get people up to 92%. But it's, it seems like an odd situation for us to be in as a society. Producer Mike and I were on a little drive around the other day and, and we started talking about this even before we knew we were going to talk about it on the pod. And, and I said to him, I sometimes just feel myself lucky that I'm on the vaccine side of this. For whatever reason, I ended up as part of the 80% and not the 20%. But if for some reason I was on that 20% side, I, I feel empathetic to them. And maybe that's just like my personality or something. But I'm where you are, George, where I, I don't think you should have to get the vaccine. Now we've been in this long enough that there's a little part of me that thinks there has to be another answer. And I think it's what you're saying. Well, if you don't want to get the vaccine, you're going to get tested constantly, but there's also a little bit of a uh, responsibility to the world now to make that testing just a little bit easier. So if you've decided to get tested, it's not, you know, something shoved all the way up into your brain and you got to wait for two hours. It's something that we can do relatively quickly and we can still let you into a Jets game. And it's sort of like the the gas car versus an electric car. We've relied on fossil fuels for so long, but we knew there were other ways to make cars move around, but we just never got around to it. This is obviously a massively shorter timeline, and I hope I'm making sense with this, but I feel like there should be a second option. Our society is advanced enough that we can kind of figure that out, that it isn't either you get vaccinated or you don't. It's probably going to be more uncomfortable for you, but that's a choice that that you've made, but you can still go to a Jets game, even if for whatever reason, you don't want to do this. And who knows, in 10 years when everybody who gets a vaccine gets sick, because I don't think that's ever going to happen, but you're right, George, this... We don't have a 10-year trial on vaccines. We just don't. We do on lots of other ones, but not this one. So I don't mm-hmm. know what you think about that. And, but I, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't love the absolute mandate, but I also think we have to find a second way and it's going to be more uncomfortable for you. And that's just how life works. So I don't know. I'm on two sides of society continuously bending to the whim of a small group of people. Mm -hmm. So I don't want it necessarily to be way easier for them. I I like the concept. That's very Canadian of you to say, Hey, you know, I, I, it's great that I, you know, I respect you being idiotic and not getting a vaccine because I do think people are idiotic for not getting a vaccine, but I have to respect that they could make that decision. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't take very long for us to come up with 10 things off the top of our heads, personally and professionally, historically where we'd be like, well, here's a choice you can make that seems ridiculous. I can think of one Jehovah witness. I've had patients die who refuse to get a blood transfusion because of their beliefs. Mm -hmm. I think it's crazy, but I've actually respected that decision and they have died. Yep. Yep. Just like people have died of 
25 to 30% of my COVID patients die. They made now, not in the first few waves, but in this wave, if they're making that decision, they're choosing not like a small percentage of death in the ICU, they're choosing a large percentage of death. Yeah, I don't know if society should make it extra easy that they should have like a five-minute PCR tests so that you can go see the Jets play the Kraken because they're the newest expansion team. I think they should still, they should jump through hoops. And really the only way to affect change is what uh, Les is saying is the carrot and the stick. Uh, People don't change if you yell at them. They make change if you take things away from them. I think you said it on the pod or you said on another conversation, Bruce, People started getting vaccinated when they were told in Manitoba they couldn't see their loved ones in old folks' homes or senior living. Then it was an immediate uptick. So that's kind of what the government is doing. So that part of it, I agree. And and I, I really wanted to ask this question for less being the business owner among the three of us. I also think it's unfair that the government is passing the buck along to some companies do you get that sense they don't have the will or the volition to say nationally or at the very least provincially, this is the law? My sense is it's going to be patchwork and they're going to like leave it to business owners to push it onto their employees, which I think is completely and utterly unfair. I think that's divisive. What, what's your take on that, Les? With the disclaimer that I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a constitutional law expert. <laughs> what? I, th- I thought that's why we had you on. <laughs> okay, that's it. The Snow Day podcast is done. <laughs> yeah, I know I often play that role on this on this show for whatever reason. My other job. I think the thinking is at the government level, they don't necessarily have the authority to put in place mandates, broad spectrum mandates. Dates. I think they realize that they would be challenged uh, in the courts as charter challenges, and they would probably lose. And so they're looking for other levers to pull, just the same way, the same way we just discussed, right? So what the federal government has said recently is not you have to get a vaccine. They've said, well, here's the industries that we control federally, right? Because healthcare is provincially controlled. They've said, mm-hmm. and employment laws are are largely provincial as well with some federal overhangs. But they've said, okay, well, here's the levers that we can pull as the federal government. So any industry that we control, we're going to put the squeeze on those businesses to enforce vaccination policies within their businesses. Now, that is transportation, which means airlines. So we saw them right away say, yeah, airlines, all employees, all flight attendants, you know, people working at the airline industry, uh, all passengers on on airplanes are going to have to be vaccinated. Well, but they haven't they haven't said you have to be vaccinated. You've said you have to have a vaccine policy. Then that becomes extra tricky because that has to comply with provincial employment laws for what that vaccine policy would imply because it can't counteract any other provincial legislation. But it generally means your employer is going to say, you have to get vaccinated, or you have to have a really good reason, or you have to come and negotiate with us, blah, 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 right? They're not going to say, hard stop, you have to, because as we know, there are medical exclusions, there are probably religious um, and human rights exclusions under the charter, things like that, that are going to apply as well. But there's a number of other industries that the federal government regulates that are enormous, such as banking. The big banks have all had to roll out their policies for 
people coming back to the office, I'm sure, you know, like producer Mike works for a bank, right, Bruce? I'm sure he got something from uh, whichever, we don't need to name his bank on the pod, but he got something from HR saying, as of this date, you're going to have to comply with this policy. And the policy basically states get vaccinated and then has a whole bunch of other vagueness around it. But that's what the government has done. They, they've tried to find their own loopholes to do everything they can to push people towards vaccination. I'll jump in on the bank just because producer Mike and I had a long talk about this. His bank said, no, you get vaccinated or you don't come to work. It was a hard line. Wow. He was lucky. He went around his branch and everybody was vaccinated. And he said, well, okay, this is kind of a, fortunately for me, it's a non-issue. Yeah. The branch one town over had four people that were hard anti-vax and who were at the point where saying, okay, well, we're not coming to work. Now they got to close the branch. Yeah. And it's a, it's a shit show, right? So the branch manager there says, says now what? Like, okay, corporate dropped this and this was great, but we're, we can't find, we're a small town. We can't find employees. Like this was not a good decision. And then our government came out. I don't know if George, yours is the same, but our the health authority came out basically saying you have to be vaccinated to work here, but it's that or you get tested three times a week, exactly what we talked about before. And it sounds to me like the banks will back off a little bit and maybe go to something like that. But right there, that was a, there will not be a bank in Flint Flint yeah. <laughs> in two weeks. Like yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> so what do you do? So, so that's- So there you go. There's a very real example of- trickling down of decisions and and not knowing and that's what i mean about the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns right like the i don't think you i don't think we truly understand the consequences of a hammer down approach not the very smart of us can possibly understand all possible permutations of a of a decision in the future not the very smart of us can possibly understand all possible permutations of a of a decision in the future which is why generally absolutes are terrible ways to go about any <laughs> decision in your life. Yeah. That's why, even though I think it's crazy not to do it, I'm glad you had a real life example because I couldn't come up with one. Like mine are obvious. Well, I have people who are dying on a ventilator. Well, that's an individual that's easy to see, but you have a very real example of a small town that's been affected in a very meaningful way. You know, if we, if we say 80% of people, 80% of Canadians are getting vaccinated 20% or not, using rough numbers, right? That 20%, they fall into a number of different categories. My initial statement about don't try to come talk to me if you want to debate the science, the people in that category that think they're going to debate the science, I have no interest in debating you. But there are, as you said, George, there are people who are making this decision for a myriad of other reasons, philosophical, religious, right? I respect those people's rights to make that choice. I know a number of people who have for whatever their personal reasons are, decided not to get vaccinated and they don't feel they want to get vaccinated. These are smart, educated, principled people. They all have their reasons. Obviously, I disagree with them, but I respect their their rights to make those choices. I'm not interested in having a, interested in having a scientific debate. Don't come at me with fucking ivermectin, George. <laughs> right? <laughs> because I, I, I don't want to hear it. No. Right. There are people who are going to make those choices. Now, when we talk about how are we going to get from 80 to 92%? I think that the job thing is one, but it's a really tricky one because as, as much as it seems, Bruce, like the bank can say, yeah, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come to work. That's not as clean cut as it sounds. 
that eventually is going to end up in the courts and it's going to be, you know, a shit show. But the job thing obviously is a big one. Employment is a big motivator for people. If you tell them, you know, you can't work unless you're vaccinated, that puts their backs against the wall. The other people I think that are going to be motivated by things such as you can't go into a restaurant, you can't go to a Jets game, you can't get on an airplane, you know, the people who I refer to as we're taking their toys away from them until they behave. That's going to get, you know, maybe it's it's a quarter of that 20%, you know, maybe it's 5%. And they're the people who just haven't gotten vaccinated yet because they're just kind of mentally lazy about the situation. They're like, ah, whatever, you know, this, I'm not, I'm actually not that concerned about this. I'm young, you know, they're probably typically younger. Um, they're not afraid of getting sick. They're like, you know what? I mean, you know, I'm still young and indestructible. I don't really care, but they don't feel super strongly against it. They just don't really care about it. So I do think that those, that those tools will work, but they won't work for the people who are adamantly dug in for some philosophical, religious, um, crazy reason. You're not going to change those people's minds at this point. They've had 18 months or they've had a year to think about it. And they've decided for whatever reason that uh, they don't trust the government. Lots of people don't. They don't trust medicine. Lots of people have had bad experiences in hospitals. No offense, George. Um, Lack of understanding, poor communication, all these things, right? And uh, they don't trust science. You know, lots of people fall into these categories. So those people's minds aren't going to get changed. What I see at work now, a little bit of this is on our government. And when I say that, I mean the big government health and all of that stuff is how much outreach do we want to do? Because I agree with you, Les. I think we just have to do the outreach. And it's people that aren't going to go down to the clinic. They're not against getting a vaccine. They just can't get organized to go there. They just don't care enough. And so my one little kind of cool example from Thompson is they set up this giant motorhome that does vaccines in front of the liquor store, right between Walmart, Safeway, and the liquor store. And that's the hottest spot in Thompson right now. And vaccinated 65 people the other day. 40 of them were first vaccines. You know, sort of a transient population. It's kids. It's all of those people. But now it was convenient. It was right where I was. And they were like, yeah, sure, I'll get it. And so... How much work are we really willing to put into reaching those populations for the rest of us? It's kind of what you're saying, Les. And I, I don't know exactly what that percentage is, but you see lots of those graphs. I think it's 7 8 9% of people that are never going to get it, but the rest we just have to put in the work. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I think so. Keep fighting the good fight, Bruce. You got to get us to 90. That's on you exactly. now. <laughs> I, I just sit into the meetings. I don't do any of the work, man. <laughs> yeah. Maybe as a, as a wrap on all this, uh, it's kind of a funny little thing, but Murph and I went to Jim Cuddy out at Nelson House and they hit us up for our vaccine cards. That was the first <laughs> time I had to actually use my yeah. vaccine card was to get on to the res at Nelson House and actually to get into the concert. So they checked us twice and people were pretty into it. So that, that was my first time of actually feeling like I had a little bit of privilege. You, you got carded. Yeah, I got carded. Yeah. You got carded. You have been carded in a while. I guess uh, two quick thoughts. One, I definitely need to stop hearing or reading about these people that got COVID, went to the hospital, and then, oh, now I know better. <laughs> I can't stand those stories anymore because I actually think they're counterproductive I think they actually hurt the cause more than they help. Mm. Is that look? Oh, I got COVID, and I'm and now I'm I'm you know I'm changed. I'm reformed. You guys should all get COVID. I actually don't think it changes those people's mind. They said, "Oh, look, see, he got COVID, and he's okay." Like it, it actually yeah. solidifies the people more. So I wish I would st- stop hearing those stories. And number two, I, I think 
you know, I'm a bit frustrated about perhaps it's those 20% or, or even more that the almost complete lack of understanding of how lucky and privileged Canada and Canadians are as a whole to have gone through this pandemic living in Canada. <laughs> like, I, like it, it, it's so crazy in so many other places, including south of the border, uh, that the, the just the, the sheer will of whether you like our governments or not, uh, just nationally, internationally, the scientific community, the medical community, just the way we have rallied, but in particular, Canada has been able to benefit from the hard work of a, a whole bunch of people. It, it's a bit frustrating that people don't understand that, you, you know, you, you've won the lottery if you live in Canada during COVID, like you really have. And there's a few other countries like that, but Canada certainly is top five for luckiness. So that would be my last thought. It's a good closing point. I was going to say good finish. What else you got, Lester? Uh, I think that's I think that's all I yeah, got on vaccines, yeah. to be honest. <clears throat> I mean, other than you know, in, in the we didn't really talk about the whole vaccine passport thing. Um, to me, I don't, I don't care. It's just a piece of paper. It, it's you know, I've got one at work. It, it got me into a crazy concert in Nelson House. So yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, it's different in Manitoba because you got your vaccine. You got a, a certificate saying you had your vaccine right away. I have a plastic card. <laughs> yeah. The provincial government said, no, we're not going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. Now they're waffling and apparently they're going to come up with something this week, you know, blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, all sorts of businesses, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, restaurants, like all these businesses have said, if you want to get in, you have to prove that you're double vaxxed. And everybody shows, you know, when you got your vaccine dose, you got an email with this very official looking document from Ontario Health, you know, and you just show that. So businesses have found workarounds, <laughs> right? And they're, and they're asking for proof of vaccination. So whether or not the provincial government ever gets off their ass and prints a different color card that is proof of vaccination, I don't give a fuck. It's not going to change anybody's activity. And uh, I just find it annoying. Everyone's like, we need vaccine passports. Well, no, you actually don't. You need people to get vaccinated, like for fuck's sakes. Anyway, that's my grumpy old man rant. You can cut that out too, because it sounded good. No, no, I, I want somebody else to be grumpy and old on the pod. Less. I can't be the only guy. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to election, but yeah. I need a whiz. Can we take like a one second time out here? <laughs> Refresh your drinks. Yeah, yeah. You know, George, I think, um, you know, we won't put this on the pod, even though Bruce is <laughs> recording. <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, you don't want to get vaccinated? I don't fucking care. I'm vaccinated. I'm double vaxxed. If yeah. I, get a, I need a booster, I get a booster. I'm still being safe. I'm being responsible. But I'm no longer afraid that I'm going to end up in your ICU. I'm double vaxxed and I'm young and healthy. I'm not going to end up in your ICU. Right. Or the chances of it are incredibly uh, it's it, it's now I'm now in a category where I can think of this as it's like the flu. Right. Because it is because the flu still kills. You know, there's an extremely rare chance mm -hmm. that you or I would die of influenza in 2022 being fully vaccinated against COVID. There's now an extremely small chance that we would die of COVID. It sucks that you're going to continue to be really busy because Delta is so, is so much worse that even with only, call it 30% in Alberta of the population yeah. unvaxxed, they can still yeah. overflow your medical yes. resources. And they're going to. Yeah. And they're going to. And that sucks. And that's still yeah. something that that's why we need to push people to get vaccinated. But it's really kind of like, all right, dude, you don't want to get vaccinated. 
I hope you don't get sick. No, no, that is the other part about that. That's just living with your decision. That's the, yeah. that's, you need to live with a bad decision. Yeah. This is a little bit unique because living with bad decisions normally only affects you or maybe your, your family, like it destroys yeah. your family because you become an alcoholic or oxy user. This definitely, I'm thinking about the guy that I saw today on the ward who's, you know, 56 years old and him and his wife didn't believe it. Well, him and one of his workers are actually in the same ward. He got somebody he works with sick. So that's the stories that people don't get. Like you are now, that's to your point is actually your decision. And they don't understand this because it, it, it just, it's not tangible to them. They, they, yeah. they don't see it. I actually see it. Yeah. This is, I actually liberated this 44 year old woman off the ventilator today, nine days on the vent. That's her husband and her were both non-vaxxers. Yeah. They both came into the hospital at the same time. He went home, she went to the ICU and now she's going to go. And there's a good example of like, uh, and now we don't need to isolate anymore, right? They're taking away those crazy. So now all those people that they were exposed to, they're going to hurt other people for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. there's that part of me that goes, well, fucking tough shit, dude. You're, you're, you're dealing with your terrible decision. The only little asterisk is, yeah, actually you're, you're going to hurt other people and you don't mm -hmm. even know it yet. Mm -hmm. But you're going to hurt other people who've made the same terrible decision. Correct. Now, that's the, yeah. Yeah. There is, there is the very unfortunate small percentage of people walking around who are immunocompromised, who the vaccine won't help. You know, you know yeah. this stuff better than I do. Yeah. We have two in our unit right now. Yeah. Two breakthrough but cases of double vaxxed. Yeah. Two? Immunocompromised, though, Bruce. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, yeah. Right? Yeah. So those people walk around with that risk and in fear of, of diseases always, even before COVID. Right. right, and that's the unfortunate reality of being immunocompromised. So it's a it's yeah. a, it's a little bit different, and yeah, you're going to make other people sick with your actions, but you're going to make other people sick who are also unvaccinated, who've also made the same a risk choice to take on a a silly risk that you've you have right. So I guess it's that uh, that one kernel of libertarianism is that people have got to be self determining. Like I, you, you can't. It, it's a little akin to what your point was when we did social media and who gets to judge what is hate mm -hmm. and speech. Like it, it resonates there. Like I actually yeah. have, I think fallen away from that point. I think there's very clear stuff that's yeah. hate speech, but you made the good point about, well, who are the people that are actually going to be, you know, deciding that yeah. just like the decisions in the uh, Olympics. Yeah. And this is where this falls on me is it's, it's a, it's such an important decision that it can't be, uh, it can't be coded. Like it has to be, you get to make the decision and I yeah. can't sugarcoat it for you. And if that's a bad decision, so yeah. be it. And that's, that's what the, what your practice of medicine has always been based upon, right? Yeah. Like ultimately you're always putting choices in front of your patients, educating them and trying to guide them, but they decide mm -hmm. they can choose to not mm -hmm. be intubated. You're like, look, I need to intubate you. You can't breathe on your own. You're going to die. No, I don't want to be intubated. Yeah. Your practice of medicine is based on, I have the right to decide what I want to let you Correct. do in my body. And yeah. It always has been. So this isn't new. No, no, it isn't new. Yeah. This yeah. is almost a policy decision like seatbelts. Vaccines are in some respects like seatbelts. Mm -hmm. It's going to save your life or it's going to reduce your chance of injury. And so we've told everybody you have to do it and you're going to get a ticket, but you can drive around without a seatbelt. 
You're going to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to get a ticket. Yeah, and maybe you're going to die because <laughs> you're going to yeah. get in a crash. Vaccines in yeah. some respects are the same. Like this yeah. is almost like a similar kind of thing to, like you're saying, George, smoking in public seatbelts. Like it's kind of a, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I think the other side of the argument that I find really interesting, and I'm amazed that it hasn't bubbled to the forefront more in the U.S. I think there's just media suppression probably on both sides. The health insurance aspects of it. Because if I'm a health insurance provider, I am absolutely saying, you don't get vaccinated, I am not covering the cost of your hospital stay for COVID. For us, that's kind of absurd to think of because you have healthcare. But in the U.S., Healthcare, I mean, you hear them all the time argue about, are you going to cover pre-existing conditions? Are you going to cover doctors outside of your cohort? Like all this shit that they fight over all the time about what they have to cover and what they don't have to cover. Why on earth would your health insurance cover the cost of your hospital stay at, you know, $800,000 if you were in the ICU for a month when they could have covered your vaccine for $8? (laughs) I just don't understand why that's not becoming a bigger battle. I think, again, because it's such a partisan issue down there right now that it it hasn't happened yet. But, I mean, I would be fine. I mean, in in Canada, we tax the shit out of cigarettes and alcohol because we can say, people are like, what the hell? Why are these so expensive in Canada? Why are they so expensive? Because your health care is free. And if you smoke you're going to need healthcare. So we're going to tax you. We're going to take dollars out of your pocket to pay for the healthcare we know we're going to have to provide. The same logic could be applied to, yeah, you don't want to get vaccinated. That's fine. But you're not getting free medical services. If you end up in the hospital, you're getting a bill for your ICU stay. If you went to the ICU because you caught COVID, because you turned down the free vaccine, you're going to get a bill for your ICU stay. That, I would love... There is nobody with the political will to do that. It's such a a touchy. It'd be next to impossible to get that through. But I mean, it's an extreme, it's an extreme position to take. No, no, the the tax, the taxes is a good one. And I think you're right. When it finally settles down, all the waves hopefully trickle and whatever other super variant will be in the future, which is inevitable. I think healthcare companies will take advantage of that Mm -hmm. because they'll see it as a monetary gain on their part oh man one less person i have to Mm. oh wait i you know like i I don't have to accept Mm. this is clearly not a pre-existing position there's a there's a treatment for it yeah like i'm I'm, I'm sure if you called your you know before you travel to mexico in december george if you call whoever handles your out-of-country medical insurance and ask them, hey, just wondering, um, if I end up in the hospital with COVID, are you going to cover it? I'm pretty sure they will say no. They'll say, yeah, no, we're not covering any yeah. COVID-related expenses. If you end up like like our friend Mark, Bruce, I don't know if I told you yeah, this. Yeah, you told me. What an amazing story. Like I've told so many people this story. Poor him. Yeah, the break. So the story for people who haven't heard it is Mark went down California on a surf trip, ended up being a breakthrough case. So he was fully vaccinated, but ended up with COVID and then was stuck down in California for two weeks isolating. He wasn't very sick. This is why I said to George, you know, we're healthy 50 year old men, fully vaccinated, Delta variant. Yeah, he said it was like a, he didn't even say it was like a bad flu. He said it was like a kind of a medium head cold. He knew he had COVID because he completely lost his sense of smell. And so he went to the clinic, he got tested, and they genotyped it right away. And he was told, yeah, you have Delta variant. And so he was fine. But 
he had to stay in the U.S. for 14 days. He couldn't fly. So he had costs associated with airlines, you know, blah, 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 blah. His insurance wouldn't cover any of those costs. They wouldn't cover a hotel stay. They wouldn't cover change fees on his airline tickets, stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, he was fully vaccinated. So you could make the argument that you should be covering things if I'm fully vaccinated. But if I choose not to be, yeah, you probably shouldn't have to. That's where this will end up eventually when it all boils down. It'll eventually fall into the category of who has to pay for this mess. I shudder to think how much money we've spent in the last 18 months. It's... Oh, Christ. I would love to get some economic breakdown, if only for the shock factor Mm -hmm. of it. We want to talk about the the federal, I almost said provincial. This is how invested I am in it. Federal election is coming up. I don't even know what day it is. (laughs) Lester, we're going to start with you for sure, because you're probably our biggest... uh, political guy, although George, you're pretty into it too. Me, I am a, like a distant third. I, in the Olympics, they wouldn't even give me a bronze. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it would be gold, silver participation. DNF did not finish. I think this is turning out to be the election that absolutely nobody cares about. Pretty clear that nobody wanted the election call. I understand why the sitting liberal government called it at the time that they did. It felt like a good time politically for them to call it. It's turned out to maybe be questionable. This Afghanistan disaster that they couldn't have seen coming when they called the election certainly wasn't a good way for them to start and get distracted. At this point, it just feels ridiculous. Like It's become an election about nothing where All parties are just throwing shit at the wall, trying to come up with something that Canadians will care about. I think everyone thought it would be a referendum on the pandemic, but it just feels like it's not. It feels like people have said, yeah, okay, the pandemic has been dealt with and we want to talk about things moving forward, which the government didn't see coming. But I don't know. I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles, we're going to have a government that looks largely like the government we had a month ago. Yeah, I would agree with most of those comments. I am super annoyed that they called this election. The timing is terrible and it is, like Les said, almost meaningless. Like it it feels very nebulous. Like I I don't know why we're changing. I'm not a particularly huge fan of the current federal government, but they've managed to navigate us through unprecedented times the best I think anybody could have anyways. Like I don't don't think it would have mattered who was in power currently, uh, despite political views. So uh, I am annoyed. The only thing that I will say is I'm once again reminded how happy I am of our short election cycle campaign, (laughs) that it's only six weeks versus America, which is now stretched into like a year and a half almost. Uh, So I certainly do appreciate that there is a definite start and stop to campaigning. And I agree with Les. I've read and seen a couple of sound bites on the three major leaders talking and then, of course, the Quebec guy. Um, not just Quebec guy. It's Yves-Francois Blanchet. And they are seemingly throwing random things out, like yeah. almost a non sequitur. Like, I don't even know why you're bringing this up. This yep. has nothing to do with what is on anybody's agenda. So I think there's almost a little bit of a panic. However, I will predict that I think the liberals will still be in power, but they'll lose. They'll be even less uh, in power than they were before. I think it'll backfire a little bit and the polling seems to suggest that they are losing ground. Yeah, I think there's a a good possibility that they'll lose some seats. I think they may, they'll lose more seats potentially to the NDP and there'll be a reshuffling on the right. I mean, the reality is in Canada, 
33 to 35% of the population votes conservative. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, that's going to happen. The interesting thing is how that attaches itself to seat assignment, which changes a little bit, but doesn't change much. I don't think that anything in this election is changing anybody's mind from the previous election, which is a little bit unfortunate because I think you're right, George, in what you should say. You know, whether you like the sitting government or not, whether you vote liberal or not, I think the Canadian federal government has done a phenomenal job of handling this pandemic. Back however many pods ago, when we were talking about the vaccine rollout and everybody was screaming and yelling that Canada wasn't getting vaccines quick enough, Canada has arguably the most successful vaccine program in the world, top couple countries in the world. So they've been incredibly successful. So I understand why they called an election thinking, well, we're going to get points for the fact that we've done such a good job on this. But nobody seems to care. I think people are kind of like, yeah, well, you were supposed to do that. So, you know, as my as my good friend Debbie Foster likes to say, the dog doesn't get a treat for not shitting on the carpet. I think that's <laughs> kind of the way most Canadians view the liberal government's handling of the pandemic at this point. They're like, yeah, thanks. You were supposed to do that and you did that. So it doesn't necessarily change anybody's viewpoint of what's going on. Boring election. That's uh, that's for sure. I feel like, uh, as we've talked about before, I, right or wrong, I feel like I I represent Joe Average Canadian in this discussion. Like, I think you guys are a step ahead of me in caring about any of this. I do 100% agree that uh, our government did a good job of the pandemic, regardless of where you fit. Obviously, we're some of the best mm-hmm. in the world. So top marks to that, whether it was blind luck or whether it was calculated, we, we look pretty good. I didn't even know an election had been called until like a week ago. So <laughs> that's, that's how big a news it is in, in the world. And, and sadly for my little piece of the world, there's no signs out. Nothing's going on. There's nothing in my mailbox. Nobody's knocking on my door. So you guys know Thompson, the NDP is going to win. Nikki Ashton's going to be back in regardless of her little yeah. flub. Maybe not, but that big machine's probably going to keep chugging along because there's nobody else... I don't even know who's running against her. So, To your point, Bruce, yeah. I couldn't definitively name a candidate in my riding. I assume that the liberal woman who I won't, uh, shouldn't even say she was a woman, that the liberal MP from my riding who is largely incompetent, I assume that person <laughs> is running again <laughs> for, for re-election. <laughs> I can't even tell you if that's for certain, and I have no idea who is running against them. There's just nothing going yeah, on. Nobody has any interest in it. Yeah, I think the overwhelming theme is people are fatigued. People have too many balls up in their life. People have too many balls up in their life, seemingly, even though things are finally starting to get normal. When you feel like you're back on track, you don't want to have a curveball thrown at you. And that's what I think a lot of people feel. And I think Bruce said it right. You probably, Bruce, represent more of our listeners than less than I do, frankly, and probably the general population is that there, there's a general disinterest and a blase attitude to it. And you didn't even know, like, you know, as men in our age group should probably know when a federal election is being called and you barely, you know, <laughs> and we don't because most people don't get, like people just don't care, but there's no way I'm not voting. Well, no, I'm going to go vote too. And, no, and I'm going to do a little bit of research as we get closer yeah. and part of that's on me and part of that's on them sure somehow you should get in my face if you want me to vote for mm-hmm. you i know i have a bit of a responsibility to figure out who's running and how i want to vote i agree with you george as much as it's been a dull 18 months 
There's so much uncertainty in our lives still as we have a fourth wave and what's going to happen in September with school kids and work and with, you know, vaccine cards and all that. Do I really want some more uncertainty with who's my member of parliament, even though that doesn't seem to affect my life very much? Probably not. Like, I don't feel like this was a great time to add another layer of nonsense, basically. So nonsense is a terrible way to say that because I believe in democracy, but you know what I mean? I would also say, Bruce, though, that you are a product of your riding. Because if you say, you know what, the NDP candidate's going to get elected again, she always gets elected, that's an indication that because you feel there's a certainty to the electoral outcome in your riding, you've turned off your belief that your vote matters, that you really affect the electoral process, right? So you kind of tune that out, and that, and that happens a lot. If you lived in a riding that was constantly flipping back and forth, uh, you'd probably yeah. feel more engaged. George, you're federally, your writing is going to be blue and Bruce is going to be orange and mine's going to be red. <laughs> right? We probably all know that. And, uh, That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, totally. It's true. I want, to, I want this soundbite to go in, though, because I don't think the average listeners understand that the Ashtons of Northern Manitoba are like the Clintons <laughs> of the states. They're like they're, they're this political powerhouse family. No, they're actually more like the Kennedys because they're multi-generational. <laughs> Chelsea Clinton never held office, right? Yeah, they, they, it's like a father and daughter NDP. I suppose if we did a little Google search, they would be a very rare entity in Canadian politics. Yeah, yeah. Probably. He was there when we were kids and now her, yeah. the kid is there now. And the son was the school board chair. For a, for a couple there of you years. Go. He wasn't as political yeah. nearly as the rest of the family, but kind of got pushed into it. Oh, I'll tell you what, everybody loves a career yeah, politician. Absolutely. <laughs> as if. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I have nothing to say, Nicky Ashton. We've always been together. We're four of a kind, having fun all day, piling around and laughing away. Just best friends. Best friends. Are I had some we? special editing help on this episode from. Me, Luke Bisson, with Secret Weapon 2.0. I'd also like to thank the rest of our team producer Mike, social media Todd, and the OG Secret Weapon, Shannon Bisson. You probably found us already, but hey, tell your friends we're at Snow Day Pod. We also have an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Drop us an email, maybe we'll put your voice on the show. <laughs>